0: Dear Heavenly Father, we want to welcome you here this morning, and we look forward to an hour or so where we can set aside everything else in our world and our lives and concentrate on listening and learning from your scripture, as well as enjoying fellowship uh, with fellow believers, and also enjoying time sitting down with our family, which is probably going to happen later on today as well. and uh, but we're just uh, thankful God for a sunny morning Uh, again beautiful fall colors all around us it's an amazing testament to you and creation and uh, may it be an encouragement to all of us if we didn't take notice this morning because we were so busy getting here just pray God that uh, we take a few moments today just to look around and just be super thankful for where we live and what we have and the fact that we can continue to meet freely um, as believers and enjoy each other's fellowship. And again, just pray for everyone that's in our church service today, that they're able to take something away from what you want us to see in your word. And again, uh, just be taken back by the fact that it's thousands of years since it was written and uh, still applicable here today. And again, for those that aren't with us, we pray, God, that they're able to uh, enjoy some time uh, learning and being encouraged by fellow believers and by your word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay,
1: why don't we stand and read Revelation one, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Even to all that he saw, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Revelation. Notice I didn't say Revelations. Revelations, it's not plural, church. If you happen to catch me saying Revelations, you can throw your shoe at me or fishy crackers or whatever else you have in the aisle okay it's revelation there's only one all right we're all in a bit of a bad habit i think in the western world of giving it a plural title anyway but before um we begin our time together in this mysterious and intriguing letter i first need to apologize to you for something james says be careful that all of you want to be teachers and leaders because He holds you to a high standard, and you will be judged accordingly. The worst teaching I have ever done in my entire life in eight years as your pastor has been anything I've quoted from Revelation, and my understanding of what this book has been about, and anything I've taught you in terms of the last days, the second coming. Pretty much, um, yeah, it's been the worst teaching I've ever done. And so I owe you an apology for that. And so I'm going to seek to correct that uh, just by beginning today. But in fairness to myself, um, it's a hard book, Church. <laughs> it's a hard book, and it's it's so uh, easily misunderstood. And its effects on people are, are vary. I mean, some people turn this book into a futuristic sci-fi movie. Other people make crazy predictions about what's going to happen. All which have failed to come true to this day. Other people, it leads to fear and anxiety. No joke when I tell you this, I, about uh, seven, eight years ago, I met a fellow, <clears throat> and he's been in and out of the uh, mental health ward in Calgary. And I asked him, like, what were some of his symptoms? And he says, whenever I study Revelation and anything to do with that stuff, I, I literally go crazy. I put him in a psych ward in Calgary church. Revelation Church was never intended to do that (laughs) to people. It was supposed to be a blessing. Did you pick that up in verse 3? Look at this with me. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. It's to be a blessing, church, not put you in a psych ward. So my goal for us today from today forward, is to teach you in a way that leads this book to becoming a blessing for you. Now, before we get into it, I know that all of you are at different comfort levels with Revelation. Some of you are really confident in your understanding of this letter. And others of you in here have absolutely no clue as to any of the content of what this book is about. In fact, some of the things I'm going to say to you today are absolutely brand new for you. But wherever you are at in this time, in terms of your learning and understanding, our goal is to start our learning today together. And I'm available for coffee, phone calls, whatever it takes to help you work through this book as a church. And I love getting together and discussing these things, as you know. So it starts here, but we can continue this conversation throughout the days and weeks and months. Now, um, because it's such an important book to understand and it's so mis- misunderstood, I'm going to do two sermons as a way of introduction, two sermons before we actually get into the text. And the first one today is going to be giving you a few guiding principles, some concepts that you're, are going to be required if you're going to even come to grips with making a sense of this book. I have to owe my teacher in Regent College, I I went to a course in Vancouver in January, and uh, his name is Paul Spilsbury, and he opened up my eyes to all of my misunderstandings and how I've missed this whole book, and since then I've been buying resources that he's recommended, and over the last, it's been a pregnancy, basically nine months, (laughs) I have immersed myself in understanding what this is about. And uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about that now. And I want to give you some guiding principles, principles that I did not have in place pre-January of this year. that are now in place that help me understand how to look at this book. Okay? So the first thing, to properly interpret Revelation, we must understand the importance of its genre. The importance of its genre. One of the reasons I had so much difficulty in this book was because I failed to see the importance of genre. But you know what, church? In our culture, we know the importance of genre. If you are an English major in high school, or you're taking English 30 or English 20, or you're in a university or college, whatever, you know that there's differences in genre, and that dictates how you look at a book. So, for example, if I uh, if it says fiction versus nonfiction, I know automatically one is Fake and just meant to like bring into your imagination some key concepts, but the other one's meant to be true. So if I read an a, a, a autobiography by a, a Vietnam War veteran, I know that I'm to approach this as literal. I know that. The autobiography determines that. If I see a book called Sci-Fi, Science Fiction, I know I'm not to take anything in there literally. I'm to approach it like a Star Wars movie. Well, genre is important, too, for understanding Revelation. And so Revelation falls into three genres. The first two are important, but the third one's especially important. So first of all, it's a letter. It's a letter. Revelation starts in the same way as other New Testament books. The author identifies himself in verse 4. The name is John. He names his recipients. He says they're to the seven churches that are in Asia, which is modern day Turkey, by the way. Asia is not China, it's modern day Turkey. And uh, he names the recipients and then he gives a simple greeting. He says, grace to you and peace to you from him who who is and was to come. So remember this, Revelation is written to a particular group of people facing a particular set of challenges in a particular time of history. That's important for interpretation because Revelation is like every other New Testament letter. It must be first understood in the historical context in which it was written before we then turn around and apply it to ourselves. So when it says the beast of the sea rises up, it has to make sense in their context for them to get that. We can't make the beast something in 2020 that they wouldn't understand back in in, in the first century AD so i guess especially true of all of john's visions and images now i'm not making fun of anybody in here because i was kind of in this same boat a long time ago but i mean i heard somebody say one time in revelation 9 in, in verses 3 and 7 through 10 when they read the fifth trumpet and it talked about uh, scorpions or sorry locusts coming out of the ground and they had tails like scorpions and their and their sound was like a thunderous tumult they said, that's a vision of the Antichrist army and its helicopters coming across the land. Well, First century, I mean, first century um, people living in, the, in Rome and Turkey, they don't even know what a helicopter is, church. That image first has to make sense in their context before we can bring it into ours. My teacher said it this way, John knew the people he was writing to, and he wrote it to address certain specific spiritual and pastoral needs. When we treat Revelation as if it were about the events unfolding in our newspapers today, we detach it from its original setting. So church, the first thing we have to do is approach this from their context, remembering it's a letter to a particular people. The next thing we have to understand is it's a prophecy. Revelation was intended to be a prophetic book, and this is very clear right from the get-go. Look in verse 3. John actually says it. He says, blessed is he who heeds and those who hear the words of the prophecy. It's a prophetic book. Uh, In verse, uh, sorry, at the end of the book, in chapter 22, in 7, 10, 18, and 19, so four times in chapter 22, at the conclusion of his letter, he says this, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. John intended us to understand this um, to be a prophetic book. Now, think about prophets in the Old Testament. What were prophets? They were God's messengers. How did he communicate messages to be given to, say, Israel? Well, he would speak in an audible voice to them, or he would often use visions and dreams. And so he'd give them visions and dreams in order to communicate God's word, which was to be delivered to a people group. Well, that's exactly what happened to John in verses 1 and 2. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants the things which must take place, he sent and communicated by his angel. So an angel, so God had a message. He gave it to an angel. Angel came to John and gave him a vision. And this is revelation. Now, prophecy has two elements. Foretelling and foretelling. Forthtelling means that God has a specific word to speak into a present circumstance and a present situation and recognizing that there's certain challenges each group is facing and so to warn them like you know here's what's coming here's how to respond here's the blessings that will occur if you do here's the warnings if you don't at the same time prophecy is also forthtelling it's actually concerned about future events in the distance so forthtelling is about now and god ha- can see what's going on now and foretelling is about the future Well, Revelation contains both. It spoke to the present-day situations that they were facing, how to cope, how to respond, but also the future, what was going to happen later so that they could get ready to prepare. So Revelation speaks to us in this way as well, church. It's a prophecy. We are to look at what they were facing and, and relate the challenges that they were facing to us today. Listen to God as he prophetically speaks to our current situations and expect us to prepare for what he has for us in the future. But probably the most important church is what this book is in the third genre. It's an apocalypse. An apocalypse. We are told right in the first, um, actually the second word of Revelation, that it's an apocalypse. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation in Greek is the word apocalypsis, which means apocalyptic (laughs) literature, okay? So, just so you know from some extra biblical sources I've read, um, but I've read probably four or five commentaries. They're all unanimous. They're unanimous, like these scholars. Uh, this apocalyptic literature became popular during the intertestimonial times. So to help you what that, to understand what that means is we have Zechariah and Malachi. as kind of like the last books in the Bible. That was written in the time of exile, like when, when Israel was in Babylon. that's about 400 BC 400 BC so what happens is God's prophets God doesn't communicate to any prophet for 400 years the next prophet that shows up is John the Baptist so we call it sometimes they call it the 400 years of silence because God doesn't speak through a letter the crazy thing is tons of stuff happened in history in those 400 years like just incredible amounts of history you could dedicate your life's work to studying those 400 years and what was going on in Israel in those times and in the rest of the world. Alexander the Great rose to power and conquered the world. Rome came in and squashed Alexander the Great and, and took over the, the, after that. So we have two world empires rising and falling in those times. And in, in Jerusalem went through like hell on earth during the reign of uh, one particular fellow named Antiochus Epiphanius. So, in this time, the Jewish people are being persecuted and they're under like, immense pressure. And they're desperate and they're suffering. And so, this literature rises up, rises up, because it was designed to bring reassurance, to, designed to bring reassurance to the people who were suffering. And it all had certain characteristics in play. And when I read these characteristics, you're going you're to recognize these are in Revelation. Number one, there was a message of divine origin. That was sent to a recipient, often by an angel, by a vision or dream. Check. Revelation. There was a suffering remnant in midst of the stress who were crying out to God. Revelation. Check. <laughs> there were circumstances that, their circumstances were viewed through a lens of the grand timetable of history. From the beginning of history to the end, when God would bring things to a close and bring justice on earth. Revelation. Check. They focused on the contrast between good and evil and the battle that was not just going on in the physical realm but the invisible spiritual world as well. Revelation. Check. The hearers were encouraged to persevere knowing in the final outcome of history evil was to be judged and defeated and there would be rewards and blessings awaiting those who remained loyal in this world. Revelation. Check. But here's the key with revel- or uh, apocalyptic literature: it communicated truth, spiritual truth, through visions, colorful images, and symbols. It intentionally used colorful images, colorful language, symbols, metaphors to convey spiritual truth. Kingdoms were called were, were animals. Uh, nations were described as animals. Uh, people were described as of, of being a sort of animalistic or kind of a beast or some kind of interesting sort of like Star Wars type creature. But here's the thing, church. These images were never meant to be interpreted literally. The only thing to be taken literally was the spiritual truth the images were trying to convey. I'm going to say that again. Revelation as an apocalyptic literature is not to be interpreted Literally. It's to be only thing to be interpreted literally is the spiritual truth the symbols trying to convey. Can I give you a modern day example you can all relate to? Narnia, The Lord of the Rings, even maybe outside here Star Wars. None of you believe in Narnia that the characters are real in terms of like there's an actual four footed this or a three eyed that. You know, but you understand the spiritual truths that they're trying to convey. Even in Star Wars, you understand, you know, you can relate a lot of the Bible to Star Wars when you look at the the conflict between good and evil and things like that. Actually, Star Wars is rooted a lot in Buddhism, (laughs) but there's still some spiritual principles there as well. Anyhow, but that's this is what we have to think about, church. And so we get this, right? We get this. Why do our nation's flags have animals on them because they convey certain things about the nation don't they so uk has what a lion russia has what a bear america has what an eagle it's conveying something we don't expect eagles to be like the people in or the government to be an eagle when we when we see that flag What does it mean when we have a maple leaf? I don't know, it's not, it's kind of, anyway, i said there myself. But, uh. <clears throat> but one, of the, one of the things that's really helpful too is sort of like, consider Revelation like a political cartoon, like a political cartoon. So those of you who are from the States or know American politics, well, that represents the Democrats and Republicans. Donald Trump is an elephant and Biden's a donkey. But everybody knows what that's trying to convey, especially with the White House. But imagine 2,000 years from now, 2,000 years from now, the world doesn't exist the way it does. And we showed a picture of this in the Bible, and 2,000 years from now, the people, the Christian people, are trying to interpret what this means spiritually. (laughs) You can see why we get into all sorts of troubles. One person gets up there and goes, yeah, like, God's going to bring a judgment. There's going to be elephants and donkeys walking around the world and squashing all the vegetation, and, and they're going to come to this building that looks like, a, like this like, sort of like church, and there's going to be a new church, and they're going to come into the church, and it's the White House. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's nuts. But there's a the thing. We have to go back to the original context and think through these lenses. Again, look for the spiritual truth that's trying to be conveyed and allow your imagination to be carried along by the impressions created by these word pictures so a great example actually of this is actually found in acts chapter 10 and 9 through 16. now this is not apocalyptic literature acts is literal like when you read acts it's meant to be like it's not non-fiction it's fic or sorry it's not fiction it's non it's a uh, non-fiction it's an autobiography. But there's a vision in there that's apocalyptic in nature in terms of a spiritual truth trying to be conveyed. So come watch with this uh, with me here in Acts 10. So Peter, you know, Jesus wants Peter to know, as a Jew, you can go into Gentile territory now, and the gospel is for Gentile people. It's not just for Jews. The gospel is meant for Gentiles. So he has to get that truth through to Peter. So how is he going to do that? Well, look at this with me. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. All right. When we read this, the temptation is to think that God is actually talking about a literal sheet filled with various creatures, and that the vision's about eating. But Peter understood it differently. Look how Peter translated this vision later on. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. He's speaking of Cornelius, who is the Gentile, and his family. Powerful. Peter says, it's not about food. I'm not expecting this literal sheet to come into like Jerusalem. He goes, I get it now. You're trying to teach me through this vision that the gospel's open to Gentile people and salvation is accessible to everyone. I get it, Lord. We are to do the same, church. When you go into this book, you're to discover the spiritual truth John is trying to convey. So ask questions like this: What attribute of God am I to learn from this vision? What is the Christian path to victory according to this vision? How does God want us to respond in the midst of evil and suffering In response, as I read this vision? These are the kind of questions you're to ask. Along with this then, within the apocalyptic literature is an importance of understanding numbers. Numbers. So to properly interpret Revelation, we must understand the importance of John's use of numbers. In our culture... We kind of only have two numbers that I can think of. You might disagree, but two that I thought were of great significance. Number one, (laughs) the best. Right? Second place is the first loser. Third place is the second loser. And fourth place, we don't even talk about you because you don't matter. First place, I'm number one. That's all we care about in our culture. And number 13, don't like that number either. It's an unlucky number, hence why an elevator's and in... uh, Hotels don't have a 13th floor, even though if you just did the math, you'd figure out you're on it anyway. <laughs> that's all mental, right? If you're me, 99 holds in a significant uh, number. Anyway. All right, if you did miss that, that's okay. <laughs> Pat got it. Thank you, Pat. But in Hebrew culture, numbers meant something and it carried meaning in light of old testament significance and usage. A- Revelation is absolutely loaded with numbers, and understanding them is key to understanding this book. The most significant number is 7. 7. There are 7 churches, there are 7 lampstands, there are 7 stars, there are 7 spirits of God, there are 7 seals, there are 7 trumpets, there are 7 bowls, there are 7 kings. Jesus had seven horns and seven eyes. you get the point? What does seven mean? Seven represents perfection, completeness, and fullness. And it originates out of the seven days of creation. So when you see the word seven, think in this term. John is telling us something is complete. Something is perfect, or something is full, full, in God's eyes. Okay? Number six is one less than perfection, human imperfection, okay? So right away, 666, the number of the beast, everyone's favorite, right? When I, was in, when I worked young offenders prisons in the Northwest Territories, all these kids would come in with their 666 inked on their fingers because it was self-made tattoos. It was the only thing they could do without messing it up. But i never forget that as a jail guard with these young guys, like they were proud of the 666 on their hand but it was the number of the beast, but it's one less than perfection when you look at numbers. Number four is the worldwide or universal scope of something. It refers to the whole earth. So in Revelation 7, 1, when it talks about the four corners of the earth and the winds, it's speaking in terms of God's complete judgment, his universal judgment over something. He's actually holding back judgment at that point. Number 12 is like number seven. It represents completeness. But it goes beyond that. It just has to do with organization and the people of God. So again, in Revelation, we see the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, the 24 elders around the throne. There are multiples of 12. And in Revelation, you're going to see multiples of things. So this is important when you go to read these. Now, this is start making you think about the 144,000 people. How many... I've heard so many interpretations of what the 144,000 sealed are in Revelation. We'll start thinking, 12 times 12 is 144. 1,000, it represents an unlimited number in the Old Testament. A huge number. So we start doing 12 times 12 from 1,000, 144. What is he trying to convey by that message? It's not literal, church. It's symbolic of something else. What is he trying to convey? So John didn't randomly choose these. They were deliberate. Our job is to interpret them uh, symbolically and not literally, but to try, and so to try to understand the, why he used those things. If you switch back and forth, if you switch back and forth, like the 144,000 is literal, but over here it's random. Like So Jesus has seven horns and seven eyes. If you go back and forth, you get it horribly confused in the letter because you will. Because my question will be, why did you make that literal and this symbolic? So if Jesus has eyes or or, or seven has seven eyes, why is that symbolic but the hundred forty thousand be literal? You can't go back and forth, church. That's like he's he's using apocalyptic literature demands that we interpret the Bible this way. This was a light bulb for me. Now, I don't know why I did this. Like, we all have, like, like I'm still trying to work out in my head why I did this. I interpreted all the beasts and images my whole life as symbolic. But every number I made literal. I don't know why I did that. But I just did that. So when, my, when I started to learn that even the numbers were symbolic, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, no wonder I was so messed up in some of my theology and understanding this letter. I couldn't get it right. So this is really cool. One of the coolest ones that i saw was laurel you'll know exactly what i'm talking about in in revelation 9:16, it says that 200 million soldiers on horses are going to come to the plains of megiddo in a final battle against god's people well i believe that to be literal so i thought 200 million soldiers on horses are going to gather in israel on the plains of megiddo and come to battle against god's people here was the problem we went to the plains of megiddo I'm standing on the hill look, overlooking it, and I can see left to right the entire distance of it, and its width. And I was going, Lord, how do 200 million people fit on this plane? So I went home, and I started doing the geography to how many miles wide and it was by length to see if it was even physically possible. And I still wrestled with that the whole time, and I thought, well, God, like, you're, you do crazy things. Nothing's impossible for God, so that must be true. And then I realized 200 million is a symbolic number. I was like, okay, now this makes sense. There are not going to be 200 million horses on the plains of Megiddo. Lesson number three. To properly interpret Revelation, we must understand the importance of John's use of the Old Testament. There's 404 verses in Revelation Church. 278 of the 404 are allusions or quotes from the Old Testament. 70% of Revelation is an Old Testament story or quote. 70%. That's remarkable on various levels. First of all, it tells you how important the Old Testament was to John in understanding Revelation as a New Testament letter. Like, in, in, look at what happens in 110. Look at 110 in your Bible. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. So God gives him visions, and he says, I'm going to tell you things that you're going to hear, and you're going to see things. How does God choose to communicate the visions to John through Old Testament imagery? How does John, he didn't tell him what to write. When He just says, record what you see. So John had to choose, how am I going to record this? He thought through all the Old Testament before he wrote it down to think, I'm going to choose this image from this place and this image from this place to describe what I'm seeing. Do you understand how cool that is? He wants you to understand the New Testament story in light of the Old Testament story. He's, to help us understand, he goes, go back to the Old Testament to interpret the New. Not only that, it teaches you how incredible John's mind was. If God came to me and said, okay, Dexter, like I'm going to give you a vision. Here's only one caveat. You have to interpret the vision through the entire Old Testament lens. I'd be like, oh boy, I better get back to the Old Testament. I've got to read through a ton of stuff to figure out what's the best way to interpret these, these passages or this vision. But John knew the the Old Testament just incredibly so well that he chose certain things to convey the truths of the New Testament letter. But you know what also is cool, church? It also tells you how awesomely the, the, the congregations in the first century knew the Old Testament. Remember, it's a letter. He's trying to communicate to them how to work through situations they're facing. It's to be a blessing, not a confusing message. So when they receive this, they know what John's saying. Or at least the majority do. And those who didn't could be helped by the others. This is so exciting for me because, you know, they're Gentile Gentile primarily uh, audiences. They're in Rome, modern-day Rome. They're not Jewish. Shows you how well-trained these people were in the Old Testament. The fact that he could teach this and the people of that church knew it. You know, when Paul taught at the school of Tyrannus in Ephesus for a year and a half, you imagine what that would have been like? You'd learn more in a year and a half under Paul and understanding the Old Testament and how to relate it to the New than you would in 20 years of being a pastor or going to seminary. Just be unbelievable. But let me give you a cool example. Just one. Turn with me to Revelation 21. 1 to 4. Revelation 21, (coughs)
0: 1-4.
1: Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more any, uh, longer any death. There'll be no more uh, mourning, crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. Prior to my studies in Revelation, I thought John was just making up sort of words. He was describing what the new heaven's going to be like, and it was just sort of his own thoughts as he received this vision. Check this out. Everything in black is what I can't find from the Old Testament. Everything in color is, is, is a quote from the Old Testament. Then I saw a new heaven and earth, for the first heaven and first earth have passed away, Isaiah 65:17. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, Isaiah 52, 1. Made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, Isaiah 61:10. Behold, a tabernacle of gods among men, and he will dwell among them, etc., Leviticus 26, 11, Ezekiel 37, 27. He will wipe away every tear and so on. Isaiah 25, verse 8. you understand the power of this church? 278 out of 404 words. That means that most of the words that are in between are linking words. Like, then I saw. <laughs> okay, church, it's really cool. Really cool. And the whole book is like this. My Revelation Bible is is filled now, this letter, with all the Old Testament quotes beside it. So again, if we're going to understand Revelation, we have to understand John's usage of the Old Testament. I'll give you one fun one. In light of today's context, everyone's so wondering about the mark of the beast in the last year and a half. I'm going to give you the hint. Go to Revelation 13, 16, read what the mark of the beast is, and go to Deuteronomy 6, and you tell me what John is trying to teach. Revelation 13, Deuteronomy 6, that's your homework for this week. This is what Beale says, J.K. Beale. I love this, you know. <laughs> it says, he has two commentaries, and he says, you can buy his shorter commentary. I thought, I want the shorter commentary. I get it's 525 pages. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't get the longer commentary. But here's what he said. Everything God has given in Christ can and must be understood against the backdrop of the Old Testament revelation, which is not only to point to Christ, but alone makes it possible for us to understand who we truly is. See how powerful those words are? John is saying this. You want it's a revelation of Jesus. That's what it is. I'm gonna use all the Old Testament imagery and stories to help you know who Jesus is. You got it? And then he says this: By far the most important key to understanding John's vision is to understand the Old Testament. Amen. I'll finish with this in conclusion. To properly interpret a revelation, we must understand the letter is not written in historical chronological order. We are not to assume, church, that the order in which John received his visions and wrote them down in this letter is the order in which the contents of the visions are being fulfilled in the f- today or in the future or whatever, or even back then. This is not written in chronological order of events, church. The structure of the book is not a chronological timeline of A equals B equals C. And this must happen, then this must happen, this must happen. That was a a real wake-up call for me. And I can show you, this is your second homework. A repeat of events, okay? I want you to go to Matthew 24, 29 to 31, and Matthew 25, 31 to 46. This whole thing is Jesus predicting to the disciples. They ask him, when are you coming back? What's the sign? He walks through the second coming, him coming on the clouds, coming on like basically with a trumpet blast, and how everyone's going to see him. People are going to mourn, and he's going to judge the nations. That's Matthew 24 and 25. Second coming and judgment. Go to chapter 6 you're going to see Matthew 24 and 25 language in the sixth seal. You move to chapter 11 and the sixth trumpet, you're going to see Matthew 24 and 25 language again. You're going to see chapter 14 after the seventh trumpet and chapter 19 and 20. The final judgment and the second coming and the judgment of people and all these things happen like these four or five times over and over. So what's John doing? Well, it's repetition, because that's a great learning tool. (laughs) Pat always wanted to know, why does Leviticus say the same thing over and over? (laughs) Because we're sometimes slow. So he wants to get this over and over. But when you go back to the same message, or the same vision, he wants you to learn something new about God, or something new about those times. So he's, he's just revealing the same thing, but with a different sort of frame of mind. Beale said it this way God expresses the same truths in different ways. So, a linear outline of Revelation is an impossibility, church. It's an impossibility. Because the final judgment of people and the second coming occurs in chapter 6 and then in chapter 20. The same event, church. Now, I know I haven't even talked about what Revelation's about. But I figured we need to know guiding principles to get this letter right. And once we have the guiding principles in place, and there's more to say. There's more to say. But once we get that right, we can come to this book and truly see how this is intended to be a blessing to us. Lord, we give you thanks. And uh, this whole service has been about thanksgiving, from our opening prayers to our songs, to our prayers of the people, to to this sermon. We look forward to what you're going to teach us in the upcoming weeks and months hopefully lord everybody's heart and mind is stirred to want to know you more just by the way this was presented today this is not about me and about uh, trying to impress people this is about them wanting to know you and wanting to love you and wanting to serve you and to and to pursue after you god may our hearts be captured by that and um we serve you with everything we got May you teach us what the first century Christians were going through and how it relates to us and, and how it applies to us and that um, we are up to face the same challenges that they were as we look forward to your return and, and your redemption of this world and all that's crazy in it. So we, uh, again, give you thanks for everything
0: that happened this morning. In Christ's name, amen.